Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 134. founder of Reagency Science Communication, Jade Lovell, joins us today on this week's episode of the Eyes on Conservation podcast. Jade and her team host the YouTube series PsyQ, where they try and bridge the gap between science and the public by making their content engaging, informative, and relatable. Their belief in spreading scientific literacy has led them to a partnership with the Young Turks Network and place their platform on a wider scope, covering politics and hot-button scientific issues, all the while having fun in the process. Take a listen. My name is Jade Lovell. I'm the CEO and founder of Reagency Science Communication. We are a science and environment-based PR agency based in New York City, the home of marketing. Awesome. Very cool. Very cool. So how did you get into science communication? What, can, I mean, can we track that back to sort of like uh, its, its, its seed here? Yeah, well, I started my life as not a science communicator, but as a straight-up scientist. I did my, my undergraduate degree at the Melbourne Neuroscience Institute in Australia, hence the accent. Uh, and I worked at Monash Hospital, which is one of the biggest hospitals in my state. But I saw this disparity between the science that I was being taught as a neuroscientist and then the way that science is commonly used by normal people. So, for example... I was studying human brain anatomy, which is one of the coolest things you could possibly hope to study. We got to take human brains from cadavers and slice them up and see what's inside. Like, it was so cool. But the other half of the neuroscience course was these boring three-hour-long lectures that no one could stay awake for. We have so much science to show that three-hour lectures just don't work as a communications forum, and yet that's what we did. So it was exciting material being conveyed in this really ineffective way. And I saw it in a hospital setting too. I saw these patients just say, um, look, you're a parent, um, you know what it's like to worry about the health of your child. Imagine your child is newly diagnosed with something like leukemia, and they would hand out these information packs to, new, to parents. And it's absolutely critical that they understand the intricacies of how the disease works and the risk factors of treatment, the survival rates, the therapy regimes. But you, I could see that they just didn't understand the information they were be give, being given. And that's really scary for people, especially when you're sick. So what I wanted to do is research into how we communicate and what, how we can do a better job of getting information to people in the way that they want. So I went and did a Masters of Science Communication on how we get science out there. And what we identified in was in almost all cases, people aren't getting the information that they need. And so hence began my career in science communication. Cool, cool. So <clears throat> most people probably know you best uh, because you are the host of um, this this series uh, uh, on YouTube called SciIQ. Um, maybe you can tell us how that how that happens, uh, how that came to be. Yeah, we really wanted to practice what we preach because if we're going to be telling people how to communicate science better, it would help if we had some examples of 
implementing those best practices. So we came to, when I came first came to the United States and moved to New York City, I wanted to be in New York because it's kind of the home of where marketing and PR happens and to have the most influence, this was the city where we wanted to be. But the first thing we did was launch PsyQ with the Young Turks Network. And we wanted it to be a show where we got to discuss science communication issues and the way that science interacts with real people. So trying to humanize uh, things like, you know, the, the new Anthropocene extinction and how that is caused by humans and the interaction between humans and the environment, but also how policy affects extinction and how by advocating at a political level, we can help save species. So we wanted to launch that show to give us an outlet to get the information out to people in a way that they wanted to, that was fun and cool and interesting and uh, a little bit different from a lot of conservation reports that are released by research organizations. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I love that connection. I mean, I think one of the things that you sort of learn, because, you know, I come from, I mean, uh, a similar background in the sense that I started off as a scientist. Um, I mean, in a very different sort of space than you did as like a wildlife biologist uh, was like my first profession. Um, and then sort of slowly transitioned into, you know, more of uh, a science communicator in the form of like a filmmaker and podcast host, I guess. One of the things that, that I think I learned while going through that process um, was how interconnected the field is with everything else right and i feel like people say science communication and they think it's like oh it's just about science you're just communicating science to the public but like no you're also like making making these connections right yeah i think it's interesting that you talked about you know this show that you host sciiq um and you know you're talking about like policy and um environmental issues and like that's seems pretty far from like um the story you told of like the sort of the inspiration behind like how you got into science communication so I, just, I yeah, guess I just yeah. wonder, like, what, what that's like, like, what that process was like for you. Well, one of the things we wanted to do was bring science and issues like conservation, sustainability, to people that wouldn't normally consider themselves interested in those things. So science communication often focuses on, like, here's the science, now make a pretty postcard with the science in it. Um, but it often neglects to think about um, how can we engage the audience. And I... Um, before becoming a science communicator, I, I was lucky enough to work at Weber Shanwick, the world's largest PR agency, and I was the director, vice president of digital. So it's the way that I noticed the way that marketers approach communication is completely different from the way scientists approach communication. Scientists go, here's the science. I might abbreviate it a little bit, and then I'm going to put it out there. And it's kind of up to the audience to take that information and, and, and uh, do the burden of processing it. Whereas marketers start from the completely opposite direction. They're like, who is my audience and how do they communicate? And they spend a lot of time researching what people are interested in, how we can emo- uh, motivate them at an emotional level, um, how old they are, where they live, what do they do with their time? And once they know that information, then they, com- they match their message to that. So I wanted to, with PsyQ, I wanted to, find out what people are interested in. So our audience was male and female, but mostly male um, around my age. So it's people around 25 to 45. And think, what are the things that these guys are talking about? What's in the news that's targeted to them? What are are issues that are um, important to them? We're part of the Young Turks Network, so we're progressive. So we try and tie in science to topics like Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders or the election or um, what you can do in Congress or how the choices of... 
uh, the House Committee and the Science and Sustainability is affecting the policies that are coming out. So we wanted to really bring those topics to people and then use science as a lens to access them. Totally. And, you know, you've mentioned that SciIQ, this uh, series that you host, is a part of the Young Turks Network. Um, Maybe you can talk about how that happened, because I think, you know, a a lot of people, especially, you know, like our age are very familiar with the Young Turks. And that for a lot of people, that's like how how we get our news. Right. Um, What how did that happen? We get a lot of comments saying exactly that, like, why are the, why are the Young Turks have a science show? So I met one of the, um, we'd launched a, a science communication YouTube channel. Originally, it was called Did Someone Say Science? It was one of those working titles where we're like, we'll just call it Did Someone Say Science for now, and then never changed it. Um, such a weird name. But we started that channel, and then I met a member of the Young Turks. And as soon as they found out we had a science YouTube channel connecting things like politics to science... They said, look, this is something that we really need because we as you know, political pundits don't really understand when we read a report or we, when we read a news article that was like, our report set finds that chocolate is good for your heart. They don't know how to read that report and so they just have to trust that the science journalist has done their due diligence and reported it correctly. But they knew that they often got it wrong. I'm sure they got comments saying, like, you've completely misunderstood this research. And they wanted to do a better job. They just didn't know how. So they were interested in bringing in our channel and having a science-based look at these sort of things. And from time to time, they'll invite me onto the main show in L.A. And we'll get to talk about, you know, the issue might be something like microdosing or, um, you know, how we can use DNA um, techniques to prolong life. And they'll ask me to kind of take it a little bit deeper than a non-scientist could, but still keeping it relevant. You don't want to get a, you know, a 75-year-old PhD on there because, you know, there's some really great 75-year-old PhDs, but some of them tend to have a tendency of getting it, making it really dry and academic right off the bat. So they wanted uh, someone that could kind of translate the information to a young, youthful, progressive audience. Gotcha. I'm just... Um... I'm just, uh, I just pulled up your YouTube channel. I'm just like looking at all the videos and like, there's so much diversity of like the type of content, you know, just the variety of like issues that you delve into. And like a lot of them are issues that like, huh, huh. I never would have like thought to connect that to like science or to think about that from a scientific perspective, you know? So I guess I just wonder like, you know, what, what your process is like, how do you sort of, uh, uh, you know, decide what, what topics you're going to cover on the show? Yeah, so we do things like the physics behind the movie The Dark Tower or 10 things that Jurassic World got wrong. Um, But science is all about... Science is basically, at its core, just understanding things better and looking at the world, doing experiments so that we can understand how the world works. So there's science behind literally everything. So what we do is we figure out what are the topics or the questions that we've either, either received questions from listeners or we've, uh, we've had questions amongst our, our production staff. They're not all scientists. So they'll come in and say, like, my water heater's broken. Does that mean I'm going to get electrocuted if I have a shower? I'm like, what a great topic to explore. Or um, do microwaves give you cancer? Like, that was another one where it got brought into our office and, uh, and then we, did an, we ended up doing a video on it. So it's questions that people ask, but also things that people just issues that people are interested in and we'll pick out the issue so when donald trump started running for president there was it was so interesting to kind of delve into his psychology so we wanted to know we wanted to understand why was this 
person that by all accounts has no experience in politics. Um, why was he so successful and, and why was he so interesting to people? What was the psychology that he was leveraging? And so that was one of our, our most enjoyed uh, and probably one of our most controversial episodes. We also do things like um, Uber. Uh, Uber's often in the media for its interesting uh, corporate practices. So we did an investigative piece on how they pay their drivers. So just trying to use the scientific method or a data-first approach to breaking down these sort of big issues. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I mean, you touched on... <clears throat> You've mentioned politics and like policy a couple times, and like how you you guys sort of connect that to to science issues, or sort of just you know uh, view those issues through a different lens on the show. Um, and I mean, it just it strikes me as like I mean, especially because you're a part of the Young Turks Network and like this past presidential cycle, like really um, I, I think connected a lot of people with the Young Turks um, just because mm. of the awesome coverage that they had of this just outrageous election that we experienced i don't know maybe yeah. just like what what was that like i mean you know were, were you hesitant to like dive full force into like political stuff or i mean what yeah absolutely i mean i'm australian so what after a few months of being in this new country and i'm knowing very little about the political landscape we got offered this uh you know having a science show but on an inherently political news network so it's been a really big learning curve and it was really controversial but i should say um a big shout out to the young turks and their achievements they were on election night in 2016 we all remember where we were um, and many people were on the young turks an email went out to our internal team congratulating uh, everyone on their hard work but pointing out that we had more viewers on election night than abc had so I think that there's a real desire from the public, particularly in the United States, with this incredible fragmentation of the media, to get their information from trusted sources, like this podcast. So people know you, Matt. They know what, what you stand for and who you are. You're accessible. You're not some celebrity off in a you know, white tower. And they, they want to hear what you have to say about something. And they know they trust you, so they trust your information. And I think the Young Turks has really worked on building that trust and so in the show we want to do the same thing we want people i want to be able to say like you know me you know what i stand for as jade lovell um we want to bring this issue to your attention um for example it could be environmental policy that's coming through if you trust me and you trust my information then you should act on it so write to your congressperson and so we're trying to use the show as a way of engaging particularly young progressive people in the environmental movement, in supporting uh, funding for scientific research, um, and just making sure that in this country, sustainability and science are protected. And at the moment, that's that. this is probably the first time in the history of the United States where it's been this important. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm going to ask you a non-science question, just because I'm curious, like, you're from Australia, um, you got to experience this crazy, like, election cycle that we had in 2016 what I, I guess I'm wondering what that was like just you know sort of viewing that as uh, I don't know like may, maybe being not as familiar like with the political system here in the U.S. I mean like or uh, I, I don't know just generally like your your thoughts on <laughs> <laughs> on American politics that crazy place yeah. that we call American politics yes so the election happened in in November and December I went back to Australia for Christmas and the one question that everyone asked, you know, 
Have a guess what everyone wanted to know about the about US politics. I don't know. <laughs> the one question was, what were they thinking? So from from outside, I mean, in almost every country outside of the United States, particularly like first world uh, OECD type countries, the person that's in power is usually, I mean, I'm sure they're a politician, but they usually have this kind of thing that we all agree on. So they, they, they always rational, no matter whether you agree with their logic or not. They usually um, have a career in politics, so they have an understanding of how the political system works. And now we have the world's superpower with a leader that, that defies all of those norms. So Donald Trump was a well-known figure outside of the US, so everyone kind of knew what he stood for um, around the world. And then to see him voted into as president was very interesting. Um, but people are genuinely now get becoming fearful um people are starting to say to me like you have to be really careful oh oh, you're going back to new york you should be really careful um because the united states isn't safe so i think that from an an outsider looking in the presidency is potentially damaging to the reputation of the united states yeah it's funny so i um i had this experience i was down in mexico in march for a shoot on this Paquita documentary I'm working on. And the response that I got universally from almost everybody that I talked to about like political stuff and what was going on in the U S was now, you know what it's like (laughs) (laughs) because people in Mexico view the president of Mexico, Peña Nieto in a very similar way to like how we view Donald Trump. You know, I mean, his approval ratings are just as low, um, maybe not quite as low as Trump, but extraordinarily low. Um, mm. He, I mean, I, he was sort of the celebrity figure, you know, before he became president. It was it was quite interesting, right? I mean, because y- you, you made this comment of like, well, most people were just sort of like, what were they thinking? But in Mexico, they were like, yeah. Yeah. So I was in Mexico um, in February of this year. And I was talking to a Mexican conservationist, uh, a wonderful guy named Jose Sarocan, who runs an organization called Canabio uh, for the knowledge and use of biodiversity. Incredible organization protecting biodiversity in Mexico. But he's kind of known to be, he tries not to be political. But on his door, he had this, it was a, a, quite a radical step for him to do this. He had a, po- a cartoon and... It was an, a job interview, and there's two people in the job interview, the interviewer and the interviewee. The interviewer says, where do you see yourself in five years? And the interviewee says, probably climbing a big wall into, and escaping into Mexico. <laughs> I was like, you never know. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. But I think that, that this, um, this presidency is really interesting because we've ne- we've had this kind of slow but inevitable attack on the environment in that we're we're having less and less public spaces and the situation seems to be getting worse and worse particularly around things like climate change but it's really interesting to hear this administration kind of talking about well we only need to save a little bit of the environment and actually explicitly saying that environment is not a priority here so i think it's the first time that we've had the leader of the United States be that explicit about their views on conservation. And I think that's really interesting. Um, and it'd be interesting to see what that, what that means for the world in five, 10 years time. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, I this this it, it puts people like you and and myself as well in this uh, interesting situation, right? Where we're like the president of this country where we live is not just you know I mean not only is uh, you know uh, uh, his administration expressing those types of opinions that you mentioned about the environment, but also just straight up denying scientific fact. Right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that I think places an additional burden on science communicators. Right. Yeah. Um, Because all of a sudden it's not, you know, there's no nuance to that message anymore. It's just, no, you're wrong. You know, like, well, wait, but this is, you know, how the scientific process works. Like, like, no, clearly you don't. Right. So it's like, well, where do you, where do you start? You know? And, and I mean, I guess, um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'm wondering like sort of, how you, I mean, do you, do you feel that as like a burden or do you feel like additional responsibility, like because of the political situation we're in? I think that that trust that we were talking about earlier makes a big, uh, it's become more important. So for example, that because certain people trust Fox News, they therefore distrust scientists. They see Fox News journalists every day on television. They feel like they know them. They don't know the scientists that are writing the IPCC reports. They don't, they've never met a climatologist probably in their life. So why should they listen to people they've never met over someone they see every night? And when you look, there's actually really interesting science on this. On science, The science of science communication is compelling that we build trust with people that we see, that we like, and that are like us. And so it's if we if we as scientists and people that think that the environment and conservation is important, we then have to make an effort to be human and be like the people that we're trying to speak to. So, for example, if I as you know, I'm a corporate New York type of gal. If I kind of wander into rural North Dakota and try and tell people how conservation should work, no one's going to listen to me and rightly so. So the burden is on us as communicators to adapt to the people, the styles, the the culture of the organizations that we're trying to meet. And then that trust becomes really important. So I think that's why shows like this and shows like Psyche are really important. I have a responsibility as a, a young woman to reach out to other young women and tell them about important scientific issues and particularly in environment and conservation because that is so time critical right now. So I can use my position as a young woman to reach out to people that look like me and think like me. And we all have that responsibility to do the same thing where we are and with the community of around us. Totally. Totally. Um, you know, and you know, we've sort of like come back full circle to like one of the very first things you started discussing, right. Which was like, you know, uh, uh, how marketers and people who are experts in, in PR, right. Sort of approach an issue or a problem, People like me, people like you, um, I mean, obviously there's there's a lot of variation. There's certainly, you know, people that are similar to me in a lot of ways that maybe, you know, don't believe in climate change, right, and need to be convinced that climate change is real. Um, but there's a lot more people that are n- not like me and not like you that, you know, have those beliefs, right? <laughs> right? Or have and that's how we have these echo chambers. I, I guess I wonder, like, you know, is there... And I mean, this is maybe like a, a broader question, like about PsyQ, but I mean, also the Young Turks, right? Because I mean, it is, as you said, like it's the the audience is very progressive, and I just wonder if there's any attempt to like reach audiences that you know don't 
fit that mold. Well, I think step one is reaching the audience that we already have. So the Young Turks has, you know, five million subscribers. They have quite a, a large viewership, but we need to make sure that we're using and activating that group for, uh, behind the right issues. So I uh, power to the Young Turks because they take a lot of time and energy trying to engage their membership. They have things like Wolfpack trying to get money out of politics. And, uh, and not just asking their viewers to watch, but to do something about it. We do the same thing on PsyQ. We'll often end the segment, you know, like, now that we've told you this information, what are you going to do about it? Like, here's some things that we'd recommend that you go and do. So engaging people that, are, that do look like us and, and think like me and, and look like me, I have to, I have to uh, not just tell them what's going on, which is what a lot of scientists think, that they think that that's where their job ends. But I would say... No, as a human, you have a responsibility to show appropriate levels of concern about the research findings that you have, um, not just present it in this cold, facts-only type of way. Um, and which, you know, that's sort of controversial statement within the, the scientific community. But then to reach people outside of that group, we have to adapt our language. So it could be, you know, Austin and, uh, and areas around Austin have become some of the first places to be 100% renewable. And that's in Texas. So I know that Austin is a special part of Texas. Um, but the, but they, would, they don't necessarily talk about climate change. They'll talk about national security and how energy independence can make us safer and stronger as a nation. Those things like national security are deeply important to the, generally to Republicans. So by presenting, instead of saying the words climate change, which we know is emotionally loaded, we could call, rename it something like human-caused climate instability or whatever term works, or just avoid it altogether and talk about issues that do matter to those people. So national security, jobs. I mean, there's a booming energy, there's a booming green energy sector, and we're missing out on a lot of it. I mean, China is leading research and development. So if we want to c encourage United States manufacturing, United States research and development, and keep our leading edge, we should be talking about green jobs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so my last question, I think, um, is, you know, just, I mean, your show, SciIQ, and, and you talked a little bit about your background in science. Um, is, I mean, it's, it's pretty broad, right? I mean, it's sort of like any way that science could sort of be incorporated into people's everyday lives. Um, uh, but I mean, of course the focus of our show is like pretty specific on, on conservation and then science is sort of like one small piece of that because conservation means lots of different things. Right. Um, so I, I guess I'm just curious of like how you view like environmental and conservation issues, like, I don't know, like within the context of, um, like the broader mission of your show. Yeah, absolutely. So I was a conservationist before I was a scientist. As a as a student, I started as a primary school student. I was like eight or nine. I started the the joint environmental mission at our school. So the environment was something that was always really important to me. And now that's become a really deep part of our work. Um, we work with groups like the Tyler Prize for Environmental Achievement um, and groups like the. Um, the Smithsonian hosted the Earth Optimism Summit this year, talking a lot about how whilst there's a lot of bad news in conservation, there's also a lot of good news as well. So we need to share those good news case studies. So when we're, I think my interest and background in conservation and sustainability comes through in our show with the, the kinds of topics that we, we choose. We try and keep it varied so that there's something for everyone, but 
to me, the most urgent issues of our time are around climate change and how we we as humans are all going to be able to live together on this earth without you know, causing each other too much hardship. So for me, climate change is probably the most important thing that I can cover on the show. And we spend a lot of time thinking about what are the biggest issues and how can we engage people around them. So particularly like when the EPA... The EPA is often, uh, there's this lovely congressman named Lamar Smith in Austin, ironically in Texas, and he uh, is making it his life's mission to help make the EPA's life harder by changing the laws and what data they can use. But that, that sort of dry policy information directly impacts our ability to conserve the environment and to live sustainably. So we have to make that really kind of dry, boring, like the honest act is what it's called, making those laws relevant to people and, and presenting them in a way that is fun and engaging and looking at it in, no matter what issue it is. Like if you're really interested in basketball, I will tell you about climate change through the lens of basketball if that is what, if what works for you. So I, I think we, it, we have to find the right way because back to the original point, people just aren't getting the information that they need. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, that is... Um... I certainly share that that view. <laughs> but that's why I'm really interested to see your Vaquita film, because I think we as science communicators have a responsibility to use art or use podcasts or use YouTube or use music or whatever it is to to bring and enga- bring these issues to people and engage them. So it's uh, this intersection between, you know, we've got to use whatever tools that we've got because time's running out for the Vaquita and for the planet. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you guys have any like exciting uh, plans for the show coming up in the near future that you want to share? Um, and then maybe, in, you know, and then uh, uh, maybe you can just tell people like uh, where they can go to, to discover the show if they're not if they're not familiar with it. Sure. So we have some really exciting things coming up on Psyche. You may or may not have heard that our network, the Young Turks, just received $20 million of venture capital funding. So their network is going through a big change. For us on PsyQ, we film outside. We film from YouTube's uh, studios in New York City, and they've just launched this brand new newsroom. So we're going to be bringing, uh, we're going to have PsyQ News, so trying to keep people more up to date with the news of what's happening in the science field. Um, And we're going to be launching a, a more investigative journalism series. So our videos are usually like three to five minutes, but sometimes it's not enough to really delve into big issues and tell the full story. So we've got lots of uh, lots of interesting new developments coming up. But if you like science and you think that uh, understanding the science behind life is important, check us out. We're at youtube.com forward slash SciQ, part of the Young Turks Network. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the show. Um, yeah, it's been a lot Thanks of fun. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and keep doing what you're doing because we need more... Uh, We need more eyes on conservation. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks. So that was scientist, CEO, and YouTube personality Jade Lovell discussing her YouTube series, PsyQ. If you're not already hooked and Googling where to learn more about the show, I'll lend you a hand. Check them out at youtube.com slash PsyQ. That's S-C-I-Q for more information. 
And of course, all of the resources described in this episode can be found in the show notes page for this episode, where you can find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC134. Thanks for tuning in. And if you enjoyed this episode of the show, please rate, review, and subscribe to the EOC podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. Our theme music is by The Humidors. Yeah.